and such dreamers. Meg had always focused on law enforcement, she on law and governance. Her love of history and the story of America had made her understand and value the importance of good government, and she still believed in the passion for justice and freedom that had forged her country. Longing to work in D.C., to fight for justice and equality herself, she'd found Congressman Ian Walker, who was a dreamer too, and an idealist. One who did, however, recognize that in a country where different people had different ideals, compromise was often necessary. What to do? Oh, Lord, what to do? Today she'd been shocked, absolutely shocked. Before that, she'd thought she had simply been imagining things. And then today, she was faced with all the talk about Walker's Gettysburg speech, what he should say now that Congressman Hubbard was dead. She should have been more careful. She shouldn't have suggested that she was worried about the fact that such a decent man had so conveniently died. She could be wrong. She probably was. But she couldn't help suspecting that someone in Walker's political camp had wanted Congressman Hubbard out of the picture. Her heels clicked on the sidewalk, echoing loudly in her ears. She prayed for a taxi to go by. A beat-up van drew near and seemed to slow down as it passed her. She walked onto the grass verge, suddenly even more afraid. With her luck, she'd be worrying about the fate of the nation and get mugged by a common thief. Not long ago, a young woman had been found on the shore of the Potomac River, naked, her throat and body ripped open. Police and forensic scientists were having a problem because river creatures had played havoc with her body. No persons of interest were being questioned in the death. The police feared they were dealing with someone suffering from a mental disorder. She quickened her pace. Her feet, legs, and lungs hurt. She kept her phone in one hand, trying to look fierce, as if she was ready to press 911. Her heart was pounding. It was a van. Everyone who watched TV knew that evil men in vans caught victims on the street and dragged them in by a side door, and then... The van drove on. She felt giddy with relief. A moment later, she saw a sedan in the street. It slowed and she squinted, looking toward it. Laura! The car slid to a halt, and a deep male voice called her name from the driver's seat. Come on, I'll give you a lift! She had to know him. She should have recognized the voice. It must be muffled by the night air. She was being offered a ride by someone who was obviously official. Someone she knew. Someone who knew her. Maybe Ian had sent a driver out after her. Maybe he'd realized what time it was and that the streets might not be safe. She dropped her phone into her purse and ran across the street, grateful and shaky. But the man didn't get out of the car. And for some reason, perhaps the warning voice inside her that reminded her she now knew too much, she grew suspicious. Ian's people would have gotten out of the car opened the door for her. She turned to run. She nearly stumbled. She paused briefly. She would not trip and fall and look back screaming the way idiots did in horror movies when giant reptiles were coming for them. She took the seconds required to kick off her heels while digging in her bag for a cell phone. She did nothing stupid, but that didn't save her. He was fast. He slammed into her like a tackle in a football game. She opened her mouth to scream. He was behind her, forcing her down, and then she felt his hand coming around her head. He was holding a rag. She smelled something sickly sweet, 
and she began to see black dots. As the scent overwhelmed her, she thought, Oh God, no, I really am going to disappear. The blackness took her. He'd studied the information available on serial killers with the same concentrated attention he'd always given textbooks. What had to be done had to be done, and he had to do it the right way. He'd invented an alter ego for himself, a man he called Slash McNeil. Slash McNeil was now fully part of his personality. Not that he needed a name to sign to confessions or letters to the editors or police. He just liked it. McNeil had been born off as anyone who knew this manufactured alter ego would say. Even when he was a toddler, he'd enjoyed smashing bugs. Once he grew older, the animals he tortured became kittens and puppies, and then cats and dogs. When he was sixteen, he committed his first murder.